if you were to give advice to an aspiring investor, you know, just starting out trying to get in their first deal, what would that advice be? That advice would be twofold. Mm-hmm. One, I would say, try your best to house hack, especially for young people starting out. They're often living in cities, yeah. expensive cities, which would be good appreciation. Mm-hmm. I would say start their house hack if you can yeah. into a duplex or quad. The second, I would say, partner quickly. Mm-hmm. I was in this business 10 years ago, as I mentioned. And what, what you find is you run, even when you start with money, you run out pretty quick. Partnership can certainly supplement yeah. you and you, go, you definitely go farther, faster in a partnership. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. It's it's a first deal episode. Um, I have the feeling that we're going to get into a lot more uh, besides that first deal. But our special guest today is my longtime friend, Becca Hintergaard. So Becca, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me on your show. I listen to your podcast quite a bit and I enjoy your meetup groups during the week. So it's, I know. It's, it's a pleasure it's- to be here. It's been so fun getting to know you over the last couple of years. And I, I think it's it's been that that Friday meetup group that it's just, you know, it's like I said, it's been really, really great. And I'm super, super excited to finally have you on the show. And um, huge apology. I mean, I, I should have invited you on a long time ago. We're going to talk about a deal that you closed a year ago, but uh, um, I should have invited you on a year ago. But uh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, let's. Um, Let's do this. Let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what your your background and history is and kind of walk us into how you got into multifamily. You bet. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, grew up in the Bay Area, and I was a medical device rep for many, many years, selling large imaging equipment, the CT and MRI equipment to hospitals. And while that was a great job, good income, W-2 job territory of Hawaii, as well as the Bay Area, seemed like a great gig, but it was not passive at all. I mean, in fact, a hyperactive job that, uh, you know, if you don't sell, who cares what you did the year before? Yeah, you're 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 commission-based. So it's it's a constant, you you always have to produce to make money. Constant, constant. So, um, yeah, I realized, wow, this is not a passive deal at all. And I needed to start seeking other things. Mostly at that point, I was single and just making a lot of money and needed a tax deduction. So I bought a building in San Francisco. I house hacked that mm-hmm. and uh, lived in the upper unit while I rented the, while I renovated the downstairs unit. Mm-hmm. And then I flip-flopped. Uh, the only one to put an offer on this was, this house was myself and a contractor. Oh, okay. Which was bad sign, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that says a lot. In well, what year was this? I mean, it, it... yeah, well, one, it was 2004, but okay. the building that was may vintage. have been a bad sign, right? Yeah, it was a bad sign. I got a good, you know, one of these Cinderella loans that turn into a pumpkin at the strike of three years. Yeah. So 
So you better have a good business plan in place or you could lose the property. I don't know. It's so naive. But And this was a 1900s Victorian. So everything that went wrong could go wrong. Yeah, really old property. And when you when you buy old properties, you get old property problems. Sure do. So what? I'm a big fan of emerging markets. And I was previously in the Dave Lindahl RE mentor years, 10 years ago, I was in their coaching program. And what they really would talk about was emerging markets. Mm-hmm. And you can make a lot of mistakes yeah. in emerging markets as long as uh, you, you know, the tide keeps rising, all boats rise in a rising tide. So yeah. I made a ton of mistakes in that building, mm-hmm. but um, I made, I've made a ton of money in it just because the market is emerging. It has the job growth, yeah. the, the demographics and, um, and you buy right. So a lot of things you look for. Yeah. I still have that property today. Um, and we'll go into that later. I finally made a decision. I'll probably be selling it. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, that's where my epiphany of passive income began. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went into a 12 unit, a multifamily in, um, in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And I got a taste of you know, another emerging market, buying on a short sale, a value add. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I was hooked. Yeah. So I was counting the days until I left my med device job. Yeah. So this 12 unit in KC, what, what year was that? That was, that was 09. Okay. Really good. Nine. Yes. It was a good year. Oh man. You know, uh-huh. I, I bought, uh, uh, we, we talked about this before recording. I bought a house in San Diego in 09. And the only thing I wish I would have done better was have, I wish I would have bought more. You know, I, I looked at one and to me at the time, that was a huge stretch. You know, I thought $300,000 for a purchase price was ridiculous, but man, if I had 09 to live over again. Yeah. I think the same thing. In fact, that property, I was on a, a women's multifamily meetup a couple months ago. And one of the gals on there was bidding on my exact same property. Really? And this just shows the trajectory. It was, I got it for 250 mm-hmm. sold for 300 I just kind of got out a little too soon. Yeah. It's now on the market for 950 Wow. It's a little 12 unit in Kansas yeah. City. And that was a a path of progress play, mm-hmm. speculative play, which was a great play as long as you're willing to wait out the timeline it takes. And I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I like about real estate is it's gonna work, you know, it just depends on your timeline, you know. So every market has has good things about it and bad things about it. And you made something in San Francisco work. And there's a lot of people who won't touch San Francisco because of, you know, it's San Francisco, right? Everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, lots of reasons not to touch San Francisco. Lots of reasons. Um, yeah, and with this KC deal, I mean, the, the longer you wait, the better real estate gets is is, is kind of how I look at it. So yeah, um, and it has to come down to emerging markets. Mm-hmm. And once you understand that basis, it really should start there. Yeah. Job growth, population growth, landlord-friendly states mm-hmm. is the trajectory up. And then you have room to make a lot of mistakes. I yeah. don't recommend it, but yeah. Um, if it happens, you're, yeah. you're in better hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I like to use a sailboat analogy because I think people understand that pretty well. I mean, if, if you're in a sailboat and you don't know how to sail and you put your sail up, you're going to go where the wind pushes you. So the, the emerging market is you're going in an area where the wind is blowing in the direction you want to go, you know, and that's, that's the easiest way to sail. You know, once, once you start trying to go crosswind or upwind, um, you know, sailing's in 
increasingly more and more difficult, but you want to find the market where you have the tailwind and you can just put that sail up and let's go. I love the analogy. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So um, yeah, I love emerging markets. Great place to be. So um, 12 unit in KC, what, what came after that? After that, I was part of a passive uh, investment in Longview, Texas. Another thing at the beginning of phase, a lot learned, a tremendous amount learned from these deals. That that went okay, didn't go spectacular. Knowing what I know now, I would have vetted the mm-hmm. deal a lot better. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was a just kind of a hairy deal. Do you remember in Rich Dad Poor Dad, the Purple Bible as we all know it? Yeah. At one point, he was going to buy a condo, and his yeah. Rich Dad said, "Do you know?" Do you know that there's a massive city works, public works project right in front of the entrance? Mm-hmm. No. And he said, it's going to block the entrance to the building. For, mm-hmm. They say six months, but you double it with the city. Yeah. Well, that's what happened to our multifamily deal in Texas. And they blocked two lanes of the entrance to the building right after our value add and our lease up. Yeah. And the cash flow just tanked. Yeah. We, so we had a never situation. Know. <laughs> I mean, this, this is a single family home that was like, a block off of a major highway. And my, my wife and I decided to sell it, but right when we decided to sell it, they announced an expansion of this highway, which ended up, it cut into our profits quite a bit. I mean, because it was big news in the area and the whole row of houses in front of it got torn down to for the highway expansion. And it went from a block away to, you know, right immediately in front of the freeway. But yeah, that's, that's one of those things that, I mean, if, if we could have timed it better, we absolutely would have. And, you know, when, when, when you're looking at multifamily, those are, those are things that you probably should try to find out before purchasing stuff. You, you want to vet all of that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't think of it. You go into these syndication deals and there's a lot more to look at than you think. Yeah. Um, and it, it really helps to be partnered with somebody in a fund or um, somebody like this firm, I'm setting up essentially a, a boutique firm that we vet these deals for you. We vet the areas, we vet the emerging markets to make sure there's not a huge public works project. Yeah. Strict underwriting, three layers of underwriting just to make sure mm-hmm. because you could get caught yeah. uh, in a bad spot. Yeah. You know, and you know, you said you said it wasn't a great deal, but it ended up working out. But so you made through it. You learned, which is important. I learned a tremendous amount. We didn't lose our shirt too much. This is what I love with multifamily. There's always still a property standing. Yep. You know, you don't lose everything like you do in a stock. Mm-hmm. In most cases. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. So, um, so you so you made it through with most of your money back. It sounds like and um, a lot of knowledge gained. Now. What kept you in the game? I mean, some, some people, when they lose money on a deal like that, just kind of, you know, throw in the towel and they're done. You know, that's a really good question. And thanks for asking that because not a lot of people have asked me that, but it was something I really struggled with. Mm-hmm. And at that time I had um, two kids, 18 months apart, the Irish twins. Yeah. And after two kind of tough blows like that, I just went under for a little while thinking, mm-hmm. maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm, maybe I should have vetted this in a, in know a different way and I'm not as knowledgeable in this as I thought and mm-hmm. and it took a lot to get back up yeah um, 
And, uh, and I'm so glad I did because I love this business. This is truly the way to lifestyle independence, mm -hmm. passive income freedom. And um, it's just overcoming limiting beliefs. Yeah. And, and speaking of lifestyle independence, you know, I, I think if, if anybody's watching this on YouTube, you can you can kind of see where she's sitting. But uh, for the people who are listening, where are you at right now? I am in Nosara, Costa Rica. It's mm -hmm. a boutique surf and yoga hub Yeah, um, in a blue zone of the world. And not sure if you're familiar with blue zones, but this is where the largest concentration of centenarians live people mm -hmm. that live to a hundred years and beyond because nice. of the healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I lived in Okinawa for a while, which at the time had, you know, it was probably mm -hmm. top one or two or three for the number of centenarians, but you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, you, you see hundred year old ladies out in the farms working and it's just, yeah. So sure do. Okinawa is another one. Yeah. Uh, no, Costa Rica, no, sorry, Costa Rica, Okinawa and Sardinia's, Sardinia, Italy. Italy yeah. And same thing here. You hear, see a hundred year old women out in their yard with a machete whacking down the weeds. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, I mean, um, I mean, crazy in a good way. I, I, I want to be the hundred year old man, you know, sitting on my porch, watching my hundred year old wife whack. Weed. I mean, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, that's terrible. I hope I'm <laughs> you could edit that part out. <laughs> I think we'll keep that in. But well, I like it. That's fun. But uh, so, so you're in Costa Rica and, and why Costa Rica? I mean, Oh God, that's such a good question. Yeah. Um, it just became time. We were uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Our, our life in the Bay area was a minimized version of everything we knew yep. that the sports events had ended. Um, even when they opened up, it was coming in with a mask. Don't talk to anybody come in groups of two or three. And, uh, we just said, you know, why stay here in a minimized version of what we know when we can move somewhere else in a tropical paradise mm -hmm. and not know a minimized version? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if the finances work out, and thanks to real estate, it sure did, mm -hmm. we are able to subsidize about 80% of our lifestyle here on passive income. Nice. From couple LP deals I have from still my San Francisco building, mm -hmm. um, from a hotel conversion deal we could get into and talk mm -hmm. about. And a, a big one that people don't really realize is the rental of your primary residence. If you've mm -hmm. owned your, your residence for any decent amount of time, you'd be shocked in what you can get for rent. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, um, and also something to know, it's a, a little bit of a hack, but you can write off all the things leading up to the rental of that property. Mm -hmm. So anybody wanted a kitchen remodel, ladies, here's your out yeah. up to a year before that you leave your property. You could rent off right off on your taxes. Things you need to prepare that property for rent, like a kitchen remodel, like floors, I mean, big stuff. Yeah. Do it, do it a year before you move out live in it for a year and then, then turn it up. You know, and that's, that that's, uh, um, that's actually something I didn't know because, the, the San Diego house that I talked about, we redid the floors about six or eight months before we moved out and turned it into a rental. I don't think we, we I don't even think we thought of writing that off, but oh, uh, yeah. um, I mean, just, just the depreciation and loan on that property. And um, it, it was my second rental property. I didn't pay taxes that year anyway. So um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think I would have 
had to have right written it off, but that's, that's a great tip. I wasn't aware of, you know, one more thing that, that I love podcasts and you learn a lot of no, great cool things. So I, I know I love podcasts. I love everybody who I get to talk to on podcasts. It's, it's just so expansive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, travel is very expansive too. So, uh, it's, um, it's very educational and distance provides clarity, which is what we found here too. Things that just weren't serving us back home. You know, it's, it's something I, I've lived internationally a couple of times, you know, I've lived in Chile and Brazil and Mexico and Japan, and I, I've never been more grateful for like the U S as a country than when I'm somewhere else, you know? And I, I think a lot of times, you know, People take for granted what they have, regardless of their situation. I think you're right. Distance brings clarity. You know, it's what's that cliche? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> it's the same type of thing. It's just like, you know, when, when you when you get when you distance yourself from something that you're accustomed to, you realize one of two things: that you really, really need it, or you really, really don't. And I think either way, you get that clarity you're talking about. Yes. Yes. And and. There's no Amazon in this remote beach town, mm-hmm. and it's been wonderful for my children. Yeah, um, you you definitely become more patriotic as you move overseas, as you experienced, and you yeah, appreciate absolutely. what you have, which they didn't. Probably like typical children, they mm-hmm. they don't they don't they only know what's in front of them, and now they know another way, a second language acquisition. Yeah. Um, find no. amazing schools overseas. Yeah. We're at an international baccalaureate school in between the jungle and the sea. Mm-hmm. We surf every day after school. Man. Yeah. My, my kids talk, talking about the travel again. So my, my oldest kid spent um, a year in uh, a private school in Rio, but you know, they, they got to see how a lot of the other world lives, you know, and most of the Brazilians who work, who, who went to that school were like the upper class Brazilians, you know, but, and then juxtaposed, you know, right next to them, you have these favelas with, you know, absolute poverty. And, you know, it was, it was a level of poverty. My kids never saw, you know, would never see in the U S and the disparity between the haves and have nots. I've never seen such a stark contrast as I saw there, but yeah, it, it opens, it opens your eyes and, you know, like I said, for, for me, and, and you just mentioned the same thing, it makes you appreciate, you know, what you have a lot more and what, you know, where, where we grew up. So it really anyway. does. And for children and us too, it makes you start thinking of, well, how can I help? There's mm-hmm. such a disparity in poverty in, in, you know, the have and have nots. Yeah. So it, it gets your mind turning into what would make these people, what mm-hmm. would make their life a little better? What little thing can I make a difference to one person? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's definitely changed our, our charitable outlook and, but yeah, lots, lots of goodness there, but so let's, uh, you know, since I, I guess we're, we're really here to talk about a first deal, but uh, let's talk before that about your why your big burning why. And I think, I think we've, we've kind of brushed upon it, but you know, why, why do you do multifamily? Why do you do what you do? The ultimate goal is mm-hmm. Passive income freedom uh-huh. to not have to work as I worked in med device sales. As uh-huh. my husband, we met in that industry. We're both med device sales uh-huh. reps. To have location independence. Uh-huh. I want to wake up every day and decide I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to, uh, you know, re- report to an office talking about a 
things I don't want to talk about with people I kind of would rather not be in. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one. Um, just the freedom that, that uh, real estate brings, the location independence that it brings. Mm-hmm. And uh, second is the ability to give back mm-hmm. and also to show my children that women can be entrepreneurs. You Absolutely. You can do this. I don't need to sign up for the nine to five. Speaking of location independence, I got a cat that's uh, locationally independent, you know, right now. But uh, um, yeah, my my, my wife and kids are visiting her parents right now. And so the cat's coming to me. But um, (laughs) I should bring my two cats here and just join the party. This is what to never do is move over your two cats to a third world country. (laughs) And man, yeah, it's uh, we we, will edit uh, this out too, right? We did, we did do one international move with a pet, but another international move that we went on, we, we dropped our dog off with our in-laws and it was just like, it's, it was too much. I mean, um, we knew the hassle of going internationally with, with pets, but yeah. Um, anyway, so I love your why. And I think, you know, you're, you're living the type, you're starting to get to live the type of freedom that you're, you're looking for. Um, and hopefully a lot of people who are listening, that's, that's an inspiration for them. I think, Earlier, you said 80% of your lifestyle is completely funded by your passive income, you know, so you got a taste of that. And now it's just move that 80 to hundred, you know, just, and that's right. I'm working on the other 20%. Yeah. And, and this is good because I don't want to, you know, follow anybody that has it all figured out. I kind of want to, you know, we're in this, on this journey together. Yeah. 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 Everybody wants to kind of blaze their own trails, you know, and I, I think that's, yeah, you, you learn more that way. And I mean, um, I'm, I'm happy to stand on the shoulder of giants as people say, but at the same time, I still want to, you know, grab that machete and start whacking, you know, <laughs> the vines and the, and the, anyway, the branches in the for in the jungles. But, um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about the, the deal that, uh, we, we actually came here to talk about. It was, a hotel conversion in, um, shoot, was it Phoenix? It is a hotel yes. conversion in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Sierra Vista, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Is that the Phoenix area? It's about 15, 20 miles from the border. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. So um, let's talk a little bit about that one. I mean, hotel conversion, tell us about, you know, why um, the hotel conversion at this particular time. Okay. Well, when we started looking at this deal, it was the hotel apocalypse. Yeah. It was the pandemic, mm-hmm. 2020. Um, and uh, these small hotels were really struggling. Mm-hmm. Small brands like Quality Inn, Days Inn. These are mom and pop operators. Mm-hmm. So they were having a real hard time. And uh, we came across this deal. It's a 100-unit Quality Inn. That we're taking down to 65 multifamily units, mm-hmm. uh, 31 one bedrooms, 31 yeah. studios, and the remaining two two bedrooms because they okay. were suites. All right. But these operate these you know hotel owners were were hemorrhaging mm-hmm. badly, and and just the hotel market, the small hotel market was was struggling tremendously before this. Airbnb has given them a run for their money. Yeah. So the 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 pandemic has just tanked a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, the Airbnb, you know, took the the hotel margins and I mean, that they, they had a hard time competing. And so their, their margins just went razor thin on everything. And then when the p- pandemic shuts them down, 
I think a lot of people were seeing fire sales on hotels. I mean, you've seen hotels that came out at ridiculous prices. Um, so you guys did what made sense is you took, I mean, you, you partnered and we'll, we'll talk about your partners in a second, but um, partner with somebody who's capable of doing the heavy lift and you buy a hotel at an extremely low price, put some money into it, you know, move some walls around. And now you have a 65 unit apartment complex. Voila. Yes. Oh, and if only if it were that easy, yeah. um, but yes, that's exactly what we did. And, and then you can get them at such a great price. We got this deal 30 cents on the dollar. So at a 70% discount. Nice. Um, something to know with hotels, it's tremendous landmines. Mm-hmm. So you must be partnered with an experienced operator, heavy yeah. lift operator, mm-hmm. as we were in this case with Bakerson. Um, but there's some things to think about mm-hmm. in, in hotel conversions before you even approach it. Zoning yeah. will cost you a ton of money. Yep. You often have to hire consultants for zoning. In our case, we lucked out that multifamily and hotels were zoned the same. So it was just oh, nice. counter permit, which was nice. Yep. One of our fellow investors in Phoenix wasn't so lucky. He's had to rezone um, his, his hotel there. Mm-hmm. And the Phoenix, they said, uh, the city of Phoenix said, I think we want you to put in a new road while you're doing that. And that will be half a million dollars. Hope you yeah. underwrote that into your deal. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there's zoning is a big one with hotels. You want to really start there. Yeah. There's also things to consider like buying out the franchise. Mm-hmm. You need to buy out the franchise. In this case, it was quality in. This could range from $35,000 to $150,000. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of extra expenses that, uh, if, if you're not prepared for can really ruin your day. And, I haven't done any zoning yet, but um, I've got a, a friend that is a developer here in Idaho Falls and we eat lunch together frequently, but he, he's talked to me about a lot of the zoning stuff that he does. And it seems to be a very tit for tat, you know, a lot, a lot of municipalities, just like you said, are like, yeah, we'll change the zoning for you, but what are you going to do for us? You know, That's right. It's a tit for tat. What are you going to do for us? And this is what we need. Yep. Yeah. And um, anyway, that this, this friends and they ended up, you know, giving land to the city for a park, you know, that uh, part of part of the parcel to get the zoning they wanted at one point. And just like, okay, we'll, we'll give you the, this little piece of land. You can put your park up and then you're going to give us the zoning. Yep. We'll give you the zoning. Okay. Parks yours, you know, but uh, yeah. So they're, they're in some municipalities very much tit for tat. So the zoning is not nearly as easy as, you know, going before the city council or the zoning committee and saying, Hey, we want it zoned as blank. No, not that easy. Not that easy. Your friend's lucky he actually had some land to give up for the park. What if you didn't plan on that? Yeah. Zoning's, zoning's pretty tricky. So, um, so let's, let's talk about, you, you mentioned Bakerson. They have the heavy lift capability. So um, let's talk about how, you know, a little bit about them and how you guys met and how you guys came together. Well, you'll love this, Brian. We met guess. on your call. Yes. We met uh, on your call. We met Ruben yeah. on your on your call, and then that led into conversations about this, and we underwrote the deal yeah. several times, scratching our head, like, "Really? Yeah. This numbers really? Wow, this looks really good." Yeah. Um, know, that that weekly networking thing, I've been really surprised and pleasantly pleased at how well it's turned out, and I think you're one of you know six different people who've linked up and and uh, been able to to close on a deal there, but. Uh, um, I, I like, I mean, Ruben's a great guy, you know, I'm going to bring him on, um, uh, 
the podcast soon. Bruce Roulette, who's, you know, I, I don't know what his position is at Bakerson, but he's one of the head guys at Bakerson. He's been on this podcast before. Um, he's done our, you know, been a guest speaker at our meetup too. But I, I think it's just a, a bunch of really, really great people that you, you linked up with. Really great. And you in hotels, you really want this. You don't want a newbie. Yep. You want these guys are heavy lift operators that have taken condemned buildings yeah. and fixed them up, even when the city told them to bulldoze it down. Yeah. That's the extent of yeah. And they, they've been doing this for 20 plus years, you know, so it's, you, you linked up with a really solid team and they had the capability. So, okay. So we, we talked about Bakerson, really strong operators. You meet Ruben, you get introduced to the team. Um, what was your role in the deal and, and how did that work out for you? Well, we came in as co-GP partners yeah. in bringing our money as well as our investor money mm-hmm. and sharing the responsibility. All right. Yeah. And that's some, something that uh, I, I see a lot, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways to get into the game and, you know, partnering with somebody more experienced is, is probably the best way to do it. And the two currencies are really capital and deals. You have to have one or the other to, to really get into the game. And um, obviously there's some um, SEC considerations and some broker dealer laws that you got to navigate. So you know, I'm glad glad you mentioned that. You're co-GPs, you brought your capital, you brought investor capital, and you're part of the management team. So which which puts you in the, the clear zone, you know, completely green as far as you know SEC goes. So that's right. That's right. All right. Um, did you have any challenges? I mean, hotel conversions, did you have any challenges raising money or convincing people it was a good deal? Oh, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um Hotels conversions period are very challenging. Yeah. Uh, not only in the things to underwrite and plan for, like putting in new fire hydrants and dedicated water lines, mm-hmm. to reframing windows. Uh, you know, on the second story in hotels, the windows often are floor to ceiling windows that don't open up because it's yeah. like, it's you a gotta. Yeah. It's a hotel. You have to, you know, knock those out and counterintuitively reframe a window even smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots and lots of things on the rehab, on the capital raise, it was very challenging mm-hmm. because, um, it was somewhat new to people yep. and bringing this deal to your friends and family. Okay. Grandma, we have a, a hotel that we're taking down a multifamily units and, um, you know, there's a structure of two waterfalls in this and it's a legacy hold, which mm-hmm. is a 10 year hold yeah. in which the investors get their money back about year five to six. And I like these deals. Mm-hmm. You're not always flipping multifamily, so to speak, but yeah. you're in it for 10 years for a cash flow game. All your money's returned at the five or six year mark. Um, and then it's just mailbox money. Yeah. But this was very hard for our investors to get their head around. They're like, wait, okay, wait, hotel. Uh, okay, wait, wait, no, it's a hotel. And then it's a multifamily and it's in a tertiary market. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get my money back. Uh, but then I'm still in the deal. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a case of a confused mind says no. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's definitely out of the, out of the normal syndications that every, everybody sees. I I think, you know, eight out of 10 syndications and I'm on, I'm on dozens of different, uh, you know, syndicators, investors lists, but most of my C are, you know, value add three to five year hold. And the only real variable is, are they going to put a refinance in it or not? You know, and it's, Uh it's just, yeah, that that's easy. Yeah, it's it's 
it may not be easy if it's the first time you've seen it, but that's what most people are offering. And so when you, when you come out with something that's, you know, wait, 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 your hotel to multifamily, 10 year hold. What? Yeah. So I understand that. Um, though on a, on a different level, I, I think, you know, risk adjusted to 10 year hold is a lot, a lot more attractive if you're looking at risk adjusted returns versus, you know, the, the big, quick, you know, um, the fast turns and the, you know, cash out really quick type scheme. So not absolutely but business plan. Um, right. Right. And also, you know, you need to do something like that. You need to get the property at such a good deal and have yeah. such uh, a lot of money left in the deal. Like most syndicators have to either refi or sell at the three to five year mark to pay all the investors back. You yeah. can't refi, give them their money back and then hang on to the property uh, for the long haul and still have the numbers work. Yes. Yeah. Unless you buy it dirt cheap, like we did here, 30 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nice. how's, how's it gone so far? You guys closed, um, about two years ago, um, how far into the conversion are you? Um, and what roadblocks did you guys hit? Oh boy. Well, um, the plan is going great. Mm-hmm. There's been always a lot of surprises and the heavier lift that you get into, the more surprises. Mm-hmm. We went rounds and rounds with the city and the dedicated water line and the fire hydrant that they wanted us to put in. Mm-hmm. Um, the electrical, we had to update the more electrical to accommodate the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Counterintuitively, you would think that hotels would have fire sprinklers, but they actually don't because mm. there's no kitchen. So we had to run fire sprinklers throughout the whole building to the cost of about $185,000. And, and something, something that a lot of people don't realize is it may seem like it's a really simple deal. It's like, okay, it's pretty much a studio apartment right now. You know, it's a hotel room, but when you do a certain amount of work, you're no longer grandfathered with all the city codes. So all these codes that have come along since the building was built, you know, may, maybe the fire lines was, was one of them, you know, but you now have to update the entire building. So if, if you start opening walls and start updating electric on one unit, you trip the line to where now you're pulling permits and now the city or the county or whoever comes in is looking at it and saying, hey, congratulations, you got to bring the whole building up to code now. Boom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> this one we closed on uh, way at the end of, you know, 2020. So it's really about 2021. I'd oh, say. so about, about a year. Okay. Yeah. We I, had I to wait for the permits. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're, it's a mm-hmm. long haul with these hotels. There's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these deals are so fun. Mm-hmm. There's so many moving parts and I love these heavy lifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's not a lot of operators that do this. Yeah. I think it takes a certain type of operator. I mean, we, we do light value ads, you know, compared to this one, you know, and um, you know, we're, we're doing floors, we're doing countertops, we're doing, you know, paint and, you know, occasionally, you know, we'll, we'll move a wall here or there, but uh, um, compared to a hotel conversion, I mean, we're doing light value ads and, you know, we're, we're, we got some properties that we're putting, 50, you know, 10, 15 K in per unit, but nothing like, uh, nothing like the hotel conversion. So yeah. Forget about moving walls. How about knocking down 65 walls? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It just <laughs> whoa, blows my mind. Yeah, going from, and then 
Yeah. Then all the doors, you know, you rearrange all the doors. Okay, yeah. this was a bathroom door. Should we make it a bedroom door? Yeah. And you're putting in kitchens. I mean, most hotel rooms don't have kitchens. So you're you're probably putting in, let me see, 31 one bedroom, 31 studios. You're you're probably putting in somewhere around 60 kitchens, you know? And mm-hmm. so um, yeah, that's that's you know, plumbing lines, you know, being moved around or added or or whatever. So there, there's a lot going on there that I think most multifamily operators are never going to touch. You know, I haven't moved a kitchen yet, you know, oh. you know, we, we've moved, we've moved uh, water lines to, to move washer and dryers. And that's, that's a significant expense by itself. But uh, anyway, so I, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great plan. Um, you know, now when, when do you guys plan on having units online and rentable? about six months away i would say we do have some units still uh people still living there believe it or not there are people that just like to have their beds made and their towels washed for them that actually live in hotels that so we probably have some some stragglers there we had six initially i think three or four left yeah Um, you know that that is nice to i mean you you are getting at least some income to offset you know the the you know all the expenses and I'm, I'm sure you guys planned for all the expenses pretty well, but uh, that little bit of income, you know, will definitely help a little. So it's been a great deal, Brian. It's been a great deal, but I am, I'm still a multifamily girl at the end of the day. I love the cash flows that multifamily mm-hmm. brings. Yeah. Uh, hotel conversions aren't particularly my specialty, but this was such a home mm-hmm. run of a deal we couldn't resist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about, you know, what's next for you. You know, what's what's on your radar, what's on your your uh vision board, so to speak. Uh, well, um, I believe I will soon be starting a fund mm-hmm. and with the idea of having a boutique real estate firm. Mm-hmm. A, um in which we heavily vet with three layers of underwriting mm-hmm. deals from experienced operators on the ground. I, I like more Bakersons mm-hmm. surrounding me, yep. boys that live right there in the market that are, mm-hmm. they know their stuff. Um, and in this fund, I would like to model somewhat of my experiences mm-hmm. in, in that I think you have to have not just all multifamily deals. Mm-hmm. You have to have what I call the three building blocks. You want a, a good appreciation mm-hmm. play, something like uh, my San Francisco building, for example. Yeah. This is great for people who live in these expensive markets, New York, Chicago, San Francisco. These are not cash flow markets at all, at least not for quite a while. Yeah. But these are what I call the Rip Van Winkle markets. These are the set it and forget it. These are the fall asleep for 10 years and make a million bucks market like your San Diego property. Yeah. Um, it's important to have one of those in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's also important to have the cash flow from multifamily, mm-hmm. which we love, and the tax advantages, which we love. I also feel it's important to have a great velocity of money, to have mm-hmm. some quick deals, um, some double your money deals that I'm finding in Costa Rica. Yeah. Here. So these are double your money deals in 18 months. We can buy a lot for 300,000, mm-hmm. build for five and sell for one six or one seven. Yeah. The pandemic has changed the landscape of where people can live. Mm-hmm. So just like Lake Tahoe, California, Hawaii, surf towns in Costa Rica, these are packed full of people from the great resignation, white collar workers like myself and my husband that said, hey, 
we can live wherever we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, areas like this are in tremendous demand. Mm-hmm. That uh, this house, this is an Airbnb, our fourth Airbnb since August. And the reason is there's no housing. There's a housing crisis. Mm-hmm. All our expat friends are doing the Airbnb shuffle. Yep. This house was for sale um, 18 months ago for seven fifty. It just mm-hmm. sold for one four last wow. week. Nice. And it's not even done. Mm-hmm. But because of the high demand of these markets and the willing workforce, yeah. you have Nicaraguan workers that build a, a shed right next door. They work seven days a week, mm-hmm. um, 12 hours a day, gather all their earnings, and then go back to Nicaragua for a couple of months. And everybody wins. But yeah, and I've, I've actually spent time in Nicaragua and... Wow. I mean, the, the difference between Nicaragua and Costa Rica is, is it's a pretty, pretty stark contrast as well. It's not quite the Rio haves, haves, nots contrast, but uh, um, I mean, Nicaraguan workers, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot there in the economy, you know, so they're, a lot of them are doing exactly that. They're, they're going across the borders to Panama. They're going across the borders to Costa Rica, which benefits Costa Rica because of the cheap labor and event benefits Nicaragua because they're sending money home to their families, you know, so um, everybody wins. Yeah. Not, not the greatest situation, but you know, at least it, it does, it does benefit people, you know? So yeah. Yeah. The immigrant story is always tough. Yeah. Always has been. We're, we're the Irish immigrants, you know, in the potato famine way back. And it was yeah. hard then. And and most immigrants, what, what I like about immigrants is most immigrants go to a new place to find a better life. And they're hard workers, you know, and so I think you see that just about everywhere where, you know, Nicaraguans going to Costa Rica and they're looking for they're looking to work to make more money and to create a better life for themselves. So I think I think it's a healthy dynamic overall. I mean, I don't like to see, you know, countries like Nicaragua struggle, but it happens, you know, but it's nice that they have an out, though. Yeah. That As they struggle, they have a neighbor that's prospering and they can go. Uh, still have their family in Nicaragua, keep the kids in school, everything's stable, and, and the men come here and work. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, did, did, don't anyway. want to do that, <laughs> that political stuff, but that was, that's what my job was for many, many years in the Marine Corps. But uh, um, So I'm going to go back to those three building blocks, and I really, really like how you, how you laid those out. You have to have your appreciation plays, you have to have your cash flow plays, and you have to have those double your money in a couple of years plays. And I think you know, if, if you build a fund in a, in a portfolio that has a little bit of each, you know, that's, that's real diversification, number one. And number two, your, your risk adjusted returns are going to be much higher on that one because you're going to have the best of, best of everything, you know, and it doesn't really matter what the economy does, you know, your appreciation plays, you know, might not work so well for a couple of years, but your cash flow plays might be the, the gem of, or the, or the bell of the ball. So uh, I think the the diversification there, I think it's it's well thought out. And like I said, um, like I told you before we started the podcast, I think I'm going to steal that and bring it, uh, you know, call it my go own. Right ahead. Call it your own. You go call right ahead. And then, and then you can point <laughs> back to this podcast and say, Brian stole it from me. And I'll be you know, I did. But, uh, I'll give it to you. How about that? All right. <laughs> you don't Even need better. to steal it. Even better. All right. So Time, time to, unfortunately, you know, time to wrap up here. But uh, um, one question that I like to ask everybody on the podcast um, is if you were to give advice to an aspiring investor, you know, just starting out trying to get in the first deal, what would that advice be? 
that advice would be twofold. Mm -hmm. One, I would say, try your best to house hack. Mm -hmm. And especially for young people starting out, they're often living in cities, expensive cities, which would be good appreciation. Mm -hmm. I would say start their house hack if you can into a duplex or quad. The second, I would say partner quickly. Mm -hmm. I was in this business 10 years ago, as I mentioned, and what what you find is you run out, even when you start with money, you run out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a lot of things to do. So partnership can certainly supplement yeah. you and you go, you definitely go farther, faster. in a partnership. Absolutely. And that, that's something that I found, you know, I, I partnered with, with the folks at four Oaks, you know, almost three years ago, actually it has been three years, time flies, but, uh, you know, we partnered quickly and we we got a lot of traction quickly, you know, a lot more traction than I ever would have had individually. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So that's wonderful. And that's something to celebrate, too. You have made a tremendous amount of traction in three years. Yeah. yeah. So I it, every once in a while, I, I look back and I kind of surprise myself. You know, if I look at two, 2017, Brian Briscoe and, um, you know, compare it to now, it's just. You know, I never, never would have imagined, but. Uh, oh, well, that really speaks for the impermanence of things too. And partnership is one to look at as that is that you guys can go on this road while it suits everybody. And then, and then you grow and you can go off in your different directions. It's not a life sentence. No. Um, and, and yeah, I was gonna say, it's not, it's not a, not a failure by any means when partnerships break up either. You know, it's, it's, it's usually a, a springboard to something for, for everybody. So it is, it's a growth. So um, now that's a last question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Yes, sir. Well, I have a great guide for your listeners. It's called the six steps to put your income on autopilot and move overseas. Nice. And yeah, tell tell us where to find it. I was just going to say, and, you know, sounds like something that you've just done yourself. So you're probably a really good person to learn that from. I am the perfect person to learn it from. And in there, you'll find resources of the best places to live in 2022, um, the least expensive places to live and live a good life, um, different calculators and how much it would cost in those areas. And then it goes into a bit of my journey and multifamily and, and how I've reached a multifamily situation is really the best and fastest way mm-hmm. to live a life of location independence and passive income freedom. Awesome. And where do we find that? You will find that at hintinvestments.com. That's hint, H-I-N-T, mm-hmm. investments with an S at the end, mm-hmm. .com. All right. Hint investments as in hintergart, but the hintinvestments.com. Got it. So we're going to put a link to that in the show notes to make sure everybody has access to it. And if that guides something you're interested in, you know, head to hintinvestments.com and pick yourself up a copy. Um, that said, Becca, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. This was a lot of fun. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to have to, you know, plop into Costa Rica and come say hello. Come into Costa Rica and come surfing with us, Brian. It's, awesome. it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, on your show. And it's it's such an honor to be in your uh, yeah. Friday groups. I really love it. So now, we've now, been long overdue for this. You called it surfing here, but what did you call it before the show? 
oh, my kids are taking surf lessons. Yeah. My husband and I were taking wipeout lessons. Wipeout lessons. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, it sound, sounds like me starting to ski, you know, and, and whatnot. But uh, uh, I'll be happy to come out and some take some wipeout lessons with you guys because that's, <laughs> that's probably the level I'll be at. Anyway. <laughs> You'll be in good company. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And we'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.